So same thing that you're talking about with the Eurozone. They're having much higher inflation than we are. They're having other issues in that area. China, at the same time, is having very, very different but also negative issues. They're at zero inflation and probably into deflation. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jeff and, I'm sorry, Jake, Jake and Jeff McClure. All of our training that people hear us bragging about for so long on uh, how our practice on saying our names and this is an example of how no matter how hard you practice sometimes we can't say our own names it, it well often occurs when i'm adjusting sound balances and so on at the same time but uh, it, it's kind of like chewing bubblegum and walking you would expect people to be able to say their own names while doing other things so uh, i'm just saying we're we may not be fully ro- well-rounded in our name chanting ceremony so you think we're squared yeah we've got a we've got a couple of sharp edges or three okay. or four all right yeah this is the personal wealth coach as we've just said before we get started in talking to you about wealth coaching and economics and the world in general, we have a bunch of disclosures that we're going to say ad nauseum, um, and we'll try to do it in a way that is as different from other disclosures that you will see here or read. Um, can you smell a disclosure? guess if it's too close to you. Uh, We're going to try to do it in a different way. Uh, We are the Personal Wealth Coach, which is the name of both this radio program, podcast, and a firm registered with the SEC to give fiduciary investment advice. Boy, is that confusing or what? I was telling you, it's hard to say our own names, and now we've got the same name applied to three different things. Wait, wait a minute. Um, The SEC registered investment advisory firm and the principles of it are the same people that are the hosts of this radio program and the podcast. The, ho- the radio program held the name before the SEC registered firm. But just because the firm is registered to give SEC registered, how many times can I say registered in that? Uh, investment advice doesn't mean we can do it on the air. In fact, it means we can't do it on the air because we don't know everybody listening. Presumably, that's a big presumption, isn't it? We might. There might not be anyone listening. Then we can give fiduciary investment advice to no one and charge for it. Wouldn't that be great? But we can't do that on the radio. There's privacy concerns. Obviously, we don't know everybody we're talking to. Uh, We don't know your specific circumstances, all that good stuff. Uh, And just because the firm's registered with the SEC does not mean that the SEC has some kind of a favorite child position for us. We are not even the redheaded child. We have no hair. So they are simply the regulatory institution to which we are beholden uh, as we give advice. So we're not going to be giving advice on the air. Uh, If we're not giving advice, what are we doing? We said we're coaching. What is that? If not, Well, we're giving education. We're giving you some things that don't have to have to do with your specific location and circumstances, but rather how to read the map rather than how to get to a specific def- destination. Educational. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, 
said it's educational. I said, we don't pay for this program. Uh, this is not paid commercial advertising. We also don't get paid for this program. We've been giving up our Saturday mornings for a quarter of a century plus to blather on on the radio uh, to a slowly shrinking audience base on AM radio and a slowly increasing audio base on the digital spectrums. What does that mean? Why or am I saying that? Because a lot of times when you turn on the radio or you pull up a podcast, it is an advertisement for a business. Uh, while we do get business because we do this program, that is not the purpose of the program. The purpose of the program is to educate a bunch of people that don't know nothing about nothing, including us. Uh, our lack of knowledge is far larger than our knowledge, and we're doing our Learned hardest uh, may not be our best, but we're trying uh, to educate everybody, educate everybody when it comes to finance and economics. Uh, it's tilting at windmills. The giants seem to keep winning, uh, and the miller seems to be really upset. Um, but you've got a final disclosure for us, and if that sounded like a normal disclosure, what I just said then I have totally failed. Well, I don't think you failed. This part will sound like a normal disclaimer, though, so this is good. I don't know. I'm not going to say it very fast, so it's well, really not a normal You have disclaimer. to lower the volume and speak as fast as you possibly can. And not, not going to do it. Not but going if you to slowed it, it down, it would sound like this. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Though we do guarantee the incompleteness of unsaid and, and unread information. There. Now, um, now that we have fully disclosed, disclaimed, and disinterested everyone, please continue with what happened in the market this week. Well, the S&P 500 saw it up and down, and we use the S&P 500 stock index, otherwise fictionally known as the SPX. <clears throat> it, it jumped up and down during the week, uh, got excited, got depressed, got excited, got depressed. And like a lot of other weeks, particularly this year, it wound up just a little bit higher, 3,900 of 1%, 0.4% effectively, higher than it started the week. Now, we've had a lot of weeks like that, but if you take 52 weeks and you look at a four-tenths of 1% rise, you have a pretty good year, and we've had a pretty good year already. Um, you know, we're, we're now about uh, 12% higher than where we began the year in the S&P 500. The... Um, the but the the important line that was crossed at least psychologically this week is the S and P five hundred wound up just over twenty percent higher than it was on October twelfth and there's a tradition um, among people who uh, watch investments and in indices and things like that that when the market is down when the S and P five hundred is down twenty percent we start a bear market. And when it is up 20% from a bottom, we start a bull market. Now, that's totally beside the point. If you invested in January of 2022, because you're still 10% below where you were in January of 2022, but the, but the consensus, or at least the pundit consensus, is that we're now in a new bull market. Actually, we there's a couple of ways that we measure bull markets that I think make sense. One is from the bottom. Right. So the bull market started... October 12th, but looking we have to look back to see that. What? Was it October 12th or 22nd? It was the 12th. Okay. Um, 
at least I think it was. And, um, you know, another way of looking at a bull market in some ways, the bear market continues from the top of the market through the next time it breaks through wherever it was last time. Uh, so, but but we're up 20% from the bottom, and, and so that's a good thing. Uh, it didn't seem to have a lot of psychological effect because the wall of worry that bull markets traditionally climb is definitely in place. There's still a lot of people who firmly believe we're headed for a downturn. As a matter of fact, the short interest, you want to say something? Yeah, there's a, a little metric here that w- this is the longest running. It, under the way that we've just talked about measuring bear and bulls, which just as a side note, we've talked about this sort of thing in the past. Bear markets and bull markets do not have an official definition. There's sort of definitions, but if you read them in Investopedia and Wikipedia and several other sources, you'll find you get as many opinions on it as you have sources on it. So the sort of consensus is a 20% drop is a bear, a 10% drop is a correction, and then the bull market is any time it's risen more than 20% from the bottom. But that leaves a question. During the time from October to today, we were in a bull market, but it wasn't officially a bull market until now. So it was just a market. Now it's official that it was a bull market then so that we can retroactively say it wasn't just a market. It was a bull. (sighs) Definitions are Um, silly. There's no good one. I'm glad you understand that. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Oh, the the metric I was going to throw out there is that under that definition, this is the longest bear market we have had since 1940. There. Really? Yeah. I don't... I'm, yeah, look it up. It was in the Wall Street Journal. I, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. In 2000, in the year 2000, the, in October, the market started down and it didn't hit bottom until 2002, oh, almost but, two years later. Uh-huh. So it was going down the entire time period. Yeah, but the bear market stopped, started at the 20% mark, not at, when, not at the top. So this is where the definitions get stupid again. So it's great. We can say that we have broken a record not seen since 1940, or we can say, wait a minute, there's lots of bear market. Wait, I will give you another record to break. In the history of the world, there has never been a June 10th, 2023 like this one. There you go. We have broken another record. Now back to the market. I'm glad that you have this critical information in your brain. It's breaking news. What we have is an indicator, and that is that that markets at some point will be higher in the future. Uh, And the indicator is based on the fact that we have the most short interest on the S&P 500 that we have seen in a long time. Well, since 2000. Seven, 2006. And short interest is when somebody has borrowed a stock and sold it and thus therefore has to buy it back to return the loan. There's a lot of people doing it right now. And the issue with short interest, and a lot of it is un- is uncovered short interest, uh, uncovered short interest, uh, <laughs> oh sometimes goodness. called naked shorts, is when a person borrows a stock, sells so- it, but doesn't currently own a share of that stock that they can give back, which means they have to buy a share of that stock to give it back. So there's the more short interest there is out there, the more short sales there are, the more stock there is that has to be bought back. And that when they buy that stock back, that drives the price of the stock up. So um, now that doesn't necessarily mean we're about to launch into a bull market, but it does mean that it's- Are we in a bull market? 
<laughs> we are in a bull market. It doesn't mean we're running runaway bull market that will shoot up forever. All I'm saying is there's a lot of short interest out there, which along with the other evidence, the negative uh, sentiment in the market. Now, unlike 2006 and 2007, when we had a lot of short interest there in 2006 and seven, most of the people who were going to buy into the market had already bought and we had very little money sitting on the sidelines that had come out of stocks and was not going anywhere. Uh, it wasn't being put into bonds. It wasn't being put into real estate. We had very little money sitting there to further fuel a bull market. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of it was in real estate, but it went in real estate earlier on. Um, and, and real estate's what took the market down. So what we have is something approaching a record percentage of money that is what we call tagged money. In other words, money that's come out of stocks and is sitting on the sideline and pretty clearly um, is intended to go back in to buy stocks at some point. Now, the end of a bull market very consistently is when the money that is intended to buy stocks, in other words, it came out of stocks at some point, and when people are surveyed, they say, that's money I'm waiting for the market to go down to buy in, is at record lows. That is the end of a major bull market. When we have those numbers at record highs, it normally is the very early stages in a bull market or the end of a bear market. So there's a lot of indicators out there, technical indicators that suggest that there's a lot of room for the market to go up. On the other hand, there are some other indicators out there, like the fact that uh, there's only a few major tech stocks that are driving the S&P 500 up and the smaller stocks, not the smallest, yeah, the smallest stocks, the, the contained normally in the Russell 2000, have done very poorly recently. Um, there, there's a lot of indicators. Now, we follow a mid-cap value index, the CRSP mid-cap value index, which also is up about 10% this year. And that suggests to me that the, the spread in the, in the rise in the market is a little wider than some of the news media are saying. So there's a lot of conflict, just like in the economy right now, there's a lot of conflicting information about whether we're in a bull or a bear market. I tend to be optimistic going forward. Uh, but then again, I tend to be optimistic. Um, and, and since and there's a reason I'm optimistic. When I started in this business, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was climbing through 1,000 for the third time. And the consensus was that it surely had to go back down because it always went back down when it climbed above 1,000. Uh, it's a little higher than that today. And it is, it's a lot higher than that today. And had you invested at the top of the bull market at 1,000 back in 1982 or 1983, uh, you would have done really well along the way. Anyway, so uh, so what we've got is a pretty good growth in the market going on. The 10-year U.S. Treasury note did nothing, but it did it with a great deal of enthusiasm. It's at 3.75%. That's the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, which is a lot higher than it was a couple of years ago, uh, obviously. Uh, and I think it's likely to stay there. And the, the further maturities further out are gradually climbing. So when the yield curve gets back to its normal non-inverted position, if it ever does, I think what we'll have is the the 10-year treasury staying about where it is and the, lo the longer dated treasuries, the 20 and 30-year rising. And eventually, Lord willing, we will get back to the situation where short-term treasuries are at a lower position. But right now, everything below one year, every one year and below uh, maturities, of an annualized rate of over 5%. As a matter of fact, the uh, two-year note is yielding 4.59%. In other words, if you bought a two, 
year treasury right now, it'd be 4.59%. If you bought a four-month treasury, it's about 5.4% annualized. So short-term rates are very, very high right now. Price of oil uh, slipped down to $70.37 per barrel, West Texas Intermediate. By the way, uh, West Texas Intermediate is now a component of Brent crude, which is the global standard. So Brent crude oil, which used to be the global standard, while West Texas Intermediate was the U.S. standard, now includes the West, Tex- West, West Texas Intermediate as part of the calculation. And that is a recognition of the fact that we are one of the major global oil suppliers right now. As a matter of fact, on some months, the United States is the biggest supplier of oil to the world, uh, which is certainly a big change from the past. And that's the markets. Thank you. Well done. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some big events that took place. Um, how about the Eurozone? It's a big um, one. Okay. The Eurozone is experiencing about 7% year-over-year inflation right now. And it is also technically in a recession. It's had two quarters of negative growth. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, wait. Negative growth. Which is shrinkage. We call it shrinkage around here, even though economically we should say negative growth or contraction. It's actually contraction. We, we call it shrinkage. Yeah. And and so there's an, it's an interesting combination. Since if, we, if we go back to just before the pandemic in the last quarter of uh, 2019, uh, and we look at the growth in the two economies, the European Union versus the United States, we our economy is now 5.4% bigger than it was just before the pandemic. The Eurozone is 2.2% bigger, and it has had two quarters of slightly negative uh, performance, where we have had positive performance, pretty good positive performance, as a matter of fact, the last two quarters. Yes, they did have an invasion of Ukraine, and they had their fuel cut off. Uh, and that, that, So you got to give them a little bit of credit for something. Uh, we also had the price of fuel go up here. There's an interesting parallel and it's not going to be very popular if uh you're uh, one of the if you're an adherent to the out of whoever at any given moment doesn't hold the white house that party is always down on the united states economy because it's terrible because the other guys in the white house but the reality is since that time period we've had both a republican administration and a democratic administration and what we've seen is the stimulus and everything else we did in the united states appears to have worked a lot better than it worked in european union where they didn't have the stimulus and we're doing Otherwise, similar things. They were they were slower to lower interest rates. Uh, they've been slower to raise interest rates than we have. So we have been more activists than they have. And it seems to be working a lot better here. We're not in a recession and we've had much better growth and much lower inflation. Ours is uh, 4.7% year over year. Theirs is 7. Uh, they're in a recession. We're not. We've grown 5.4%. They've grown 22 uh, so we're actually doing very, very well comparatively. You had something. Yeah. Um, I was going to put in a, a parallel here. So same thing that you're talking about with the Eurozone, they're having much higher inflation than we are. They're having other issues in that area. China at the same time is having very, very different, but also negative issues. They're at zero inflation and probably into deflation. Um, and that's because one, they didn't have the stimulus, and two, their lockdown was a lot longer than Europe's or the United States. And in the middle of that, at the same time that our fuel prices went way up, 
they had the opposite occur in China. Not only were they using less gasoline because of all the lockdowns that were going on, they got a cheap source of gas based on the Ukrainian invasion. They were the only people that were still happy to go and buy oil from Russia. So their price actually fell at the same time as the rest of us saw a massive increase in oil and gas prices. Right in the middle of that, so going back to 2018, this is the peak of the Chinese trade to the United States. This is right as the trade war is kicking off and our percent of our imports from all countries, about 22% was coming from China. And since then, we're down to, of all of our imports, about 15.4% is coming from China. And if you look at the size of our economy and you consider that 7% of our overall imports used to be from China and aren't anymore. If you look at that as a percentage of what they're doing, it's a 33% decrease in our imports from China. And what we're seeing in their economic growth numbers based on satellite imagery and the Western stuff that we can still look at, and even on their own information, they're not seeing the kind of runaway growth on their economic reopening. We're seeing a lowering month by month of our imports from China this month from last month, which is kind of a big deal because they're, they just reopened their economy. They're ready to give us all the stuff that we haven't had before. A big chunk of that is stuff that we've been talking about all year and the year before is that we've been relocating factories. We're moving stuff to Mexico and to Vietnam and to India and away from China. And that is having a direct impact on their economy right now. They made some bad decisions. They're still growing, but their growth rate is stagnating. And just looking ahead at what we know about the factory production the actual production of a factory, the creation of the factory happening elsewhere and moving away from China, it looks like they're going to go into the negatives in the coming year, which is fascinating for the, you know, the, the golden child of economic growth of China. There's a big experiment, and I've talked about this before. <clears throat> There's a, a major experiment going on in the world, and no scientist set it up, but Looking back on it, I think economists will have, they're already having a great deal of fun writing about it. China is running their economy as a centrally controlled economy. One of the biggest areas of the biggest areas of their economy are still state owned facilities. They are not allowing the free enterprise market. They've been quashing the free enterprise market since Chairman Xi took over. They are less and allowing less and less freedom. And he believes that democracy and free enterprise and free markets is a disaster area waiting to happen and it already happened. So he's going to do everything he can to stop it. Um, then Europe is running theirs a little differently. It's very bureaucratically controlled. And then here in the United States, we're just wild and crazy. Uh, but we're doing a lot of interesting things with the Federal Reserve. So there's three different systems. Actually, there's more than that. But the those are the three major basically. Ones, yeah. The, the, there's other systems working. Russia has a system. Turkey has a system. Japan has failing. a system. Japan they're is a, failing. Right. Japan's not failing, but the other the, Turkey's and Russia's are, are on the brink. But Japan's got a pretty good system going too. They're just when compared to the major economic blocks, 
China is kind of a block. European Union is kind of a block. And the United States is kind of a block. And China's sitting there, or uh, Japan is sitting there in the Pacific as a major power, but not in comparison to these big block of states or countries, or China's still kind of a lot of countries. Um, it's a big block. And you compare those different experiments as they're chugging along. And I don't want to say your punchline for you or or your bottom line, which experiment seems to be working the best? That's my We're question. Running, these experiments are running, and they're going to continue to run. And Chairman Xi and a lot of people still believe that democracy and free enterprise is unreliable. We believe it is. The Europeans are running it a different way. So far, since the pandemic, we're winning. And I think Probably we have the strongest system. Uh, it looks to me like we're coming out ahead. Of course, only time will tell, and it takes decades for these things to show up. But our system is working very, very well. And again, I say, if you're whoever party you're in, uh, whichever side of the political spectrum you're on, when your guy is not in the White House, you want to badmouth the United States. And it, that's just the way we do. This, that's just people. That's what politics means, people. But it ain't so. Uh, by the way, if you look at the economic policies of Donald Trump's administration and Joe Biden's administration, you would be hard pressed without being told whose policy they were to figure out which one was doing what. Yeah, They're very, very similar. Um, the only way you can really tell the difference when I'm looking at it, the trade war under Donald Trump was kind of unilateral. It was on a bunch of different things, but it was a very basic, this percentage across the board on everything. And the Biden trade war, it's it's a different percentage rate on like thousands of different items. But the trade war still exists. Okay, well, what about tax cuts? Well, the tax cuts of the Trump administration still exist, and the Biden ad administration isn't asking for tax hikes. He isn't saying we must reverse this horrible whatever, which is a normal political platform if you're very different from what you had before. So w if we just look at it without regard to date, the only way you can tell the difference in the administrations on the economic side of things is in how detailed the different interest rates are. It's really not that big a difference, but when you look at the slogans and the campaign stuff and the people that are really one side or the other, on the economic front is where a big chunk of that argument is, and we're about out of time. So if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give investment advice at the fiduciary level and portfolio management that comes with it to people of relatively high net worth. And our uh, firm's phone number is uh, locally. 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that same voicemail on the weekends, real life people during the week at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, where you will see our made-for-radio faces and our wonderful staff. Uh, you can uh, read our newsletter there, sign up for it. It comes out every Friday. You can uh, uh, listen to our radio programs going back lots of years. You can, you can find the podcast wherever you find podcasts. You can contact us through the contact form or through email at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. Thank you very much for listening.